BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. The truth is continuing to come out about China, and really it has been for years. But Americans are also learning more about our own government actors' relationship and sordid connections. There are a lot of questions still about the Biden crime family, Dr. Fauci, and the Wuhan lab. We'll get to that a bit later tonight. But first, we need to also talk about the truth regarding China's utter lack of respect for human life. This isn't new, but it should shock the conscience of every American and make us absolutely sick to our stomachs when we realize that we are barely protecting life better than China. We don't have forced abortions, but we do allow child killings in the name of choice. We are also one step away from gender side, the disgusting idea that we can treat children as a commodity and select their physical characteristics, including gender, based on our own personal preferences, like we would select the color of a sofa. We do have sex trafficking, as much as Kamala Harris would like to pretend that she and the pretender-in-chief, Joe Biden, care about that. The Democrat Party thinks that sex work is absolutely fine ignores Biden's obvious pedophilia tendencies, demands that we celebrate every form of deviant sexual preference. How do Democrats really think we'll take them seriously on issues of morality, life, and human dignity? Our China correspondent Angus Walker traveled to Jiangping to hear her story. She was seven months pregnant. She was hooded, held down, injected with labor-inducing drugs. Feng Jianmei was subjected to a forced abortion. I'm still scared when I think back. Four people held me down. I didn't even think about pain. I lost my baby. I try my best not to think about it. Photos of her lying beside the body of her baby circulated widely on the internet inciting anger around the world. After the injection, it took 30 hours to take effect. I didn't have any family with me. Lots of other people were watching me. For more than a month, she's been kept in the same hospital room. Her first child, a six-year-old daughter, sleeping on the bed where the baby sister she'll now never see, died. Reggie Littlejohn is the president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, and she is someone who knows how deeply morally bankrupt China is, and she joins me now. Reggie, thanks so much for coming on with me tonight. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, and thank you for raising up the issue of Feng Chong Mei, because I was our organization was the one that that released that that original photograph and that story to the world, and it went it just created a firestorm. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And this is absolutely horrific that China has such a disrespect for human life. And uh, tell me more about your organization, uh, what's actually going on in China, and 
why America is really just one step away if we embrace the same values of lack of dignity of human life uh, with respect to abortion? Well, my work, I'm the president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, and we have been an advocacy organization fighting forced abortion and the sex-selective abortion of baby girls in China for almost 10 years. We're running into our 10th anniversary uh, this, this August. And we also are the only organization in the world that has boots on the ground inside of China uh, that is act actively saving baby girls from sex-selective abortion, abandonment, and, and severe poverty, and also abandoned widows. So what's happening now with coercive population control in China? Basically, China moved from a two-child policy to a three-child policy last week, and the mainstream media announced it as China relaxes the, 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 um, the one-child policy, two-child policy pro po program, but that is, that is a, a misstatement because what the new rule is is that every couple is allowed to have three children. So number one, four children will continue to be forcibly aborted. And number two, you have to be a member of a couple. So single moms are going, are going to continue to be forcibly aborted. Last year, Radio Free Asia in one of their reports mentioned the fact that according to a, an official Chinese news outlet, China has 8 million abortions of what they call extra pregnancies a year. And so those would be forced abortions. And I wonder what portion of those, I believe a majority of those were of single women and those forced abortions are going to continue under the three child policy. Wow, and this is also going to increase the likelihood of gender side in this whole idea of uh, selecting gender uh, when you only have the three-child policy. That is so true, Jenna, and, and this is something that people don't think about. But even when China moved from a one-child policy to a two-child policy, there were a lot of couples who were one and done with their daughter under the one-child policy. But then when the two-child policy opened up, they decided they'd have a second child but only if it was a boy. So for example, in 2017, shortly after the two-child policy was instituted, there was a couple where the husband forced his wife to abort four baby girls, and then she died. Now under the three-child policy, my concern is that the majority of couples who can afford to have a third child will be couples that already have two girls and they will have a third child and go to the expense of that very expensive to have a child in China, but only if that child is a boy. And I'm very concerned for the baby girls that are, that are going to be selectively aborted under the three-child policy. Now, this is just a horrific, uh, brutal regime. And what can be done here in America, not only in your organization, which I am so grateful for, but for everyone watching uh, who really wants to protect life and uh, really cares about these types of policies, uh, what can we do here in America, not only to help China, but also to make sure that our own pro-life policies uh, are advocated for even more strongly? Well, for people who want to help our work in China, my, my organization and the website is womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org. There's a petition on there to stop forced abortion. We have over 40,000 signatures. And when we get over 50,000, we are going to present those signatures to the Chinese embassy in, uh, in Washington, D.C. So please sign that petition. If you, want to send, uh, if you want to help save baby girls, there's a big red button that says save a girl. You can find out more about our program. We're there. And then the other thing um, about not 
having those attitudes in the United States. I mean, I believe that the attitude towards life in China of that, that human beings are just worthless unless they can contribute to society comes from the fact that they, that they are founded on atheistic communism. They, yeah. The Communist Party is not And to the extent that we shunt God out of our own Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have to leave it there, but thanks so much. And we'll be right back with more of Just the Truth. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And now I'm continuing the conversation with my next guest, Alexander, Alexander Almazan, who is the attorney and brand new podcast host called All Rise. Definitely check this out. And Alex, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Jenna. Yeah, so you and I had a conversation last week that I thought was so fascinating that everyone has to be aware of some of your legal insight into this, that, you know, the mainstream media always talks about how we have such a divided Supreme Court and everything is so political. But if you actually look at a couple of even the recent Supreme Court decisions, including one just today, there have actually been several 9-0 opinions on things that truly matter, but the mainstream media is not covering this. Why? Yeah, so they they just aren't, right? So there's this particular case that I talked to you about last week that you were fascinated by was intriguing because there are so many people like you, like me, that just don't hear about it, and the media doesn't cover it. And in this particular, the media didn't cover a 9-0 decision that was the U.S. government's attempt to essentially violate the Fourth Amendment, to allow warrantless searches into your home under a community caretaking exception that was established back in 1972 that was limited only to a police officer's ability and a caretaking function to access a disabled vehicle and get into the trunk of a disabled vehicle. It was never intended to actually have to do with your home. So it was a big deal to watch the federal government in one of Biden's first DOJ amicus briefs filed with the court and a request for the solicitor general to actually argue before the court to have a warrantless search and seizure of an American citizen's guns within his home be a position that we just saw our federal government advocate for before the court. Yeah, and this was really fascinating to me because this showed, and I think the mainstream media didn't want to show the truth, that uh, the Supreme Court actually protected uh, the, the gun rights of citizens in this case against um, unconstitutional search and seizure and by a 9-0 opinion. And so, of course, if this was covered more, and if you're not you know, one of the wonks that uh, goes and just checks out the Supreme Court blog and reads and delves into every single opinion that they come out with, and just looks at what the mainstream media covers, you would have missed this. And I think part of this, Alex, is that the mainstream media doesn't want to cover the fact, especially the leftists, that maybe the court is not going to be very receptive to Biden's gun control plan. Listen, it is absolutely all we hear about is gun control or gun violence, depending on which side you are and which word you are. You hear about abortion rights. And you hear, as the mainstream media puts out to us, you believe that every decision is 5-4 and contentious and has dissent, and that the passing of the wonderful Ruth Gator Ginsburg was somehow going to lead to some um, very unequivocal decisions because the court was now, quote, 6-3. 
And when you see the amount, we've had multiple cases that have come back with unanimous decisions just in the last few weeks, including, as you pointed out to me, one today on immigration. But this one, Jenna, I strongly believe that the mainstream media didn't cover this because it doesn't fit the narrative. You just had the federal government intervene in a home where the individual that owned the guns was not even in the house. He had voluntarily addressed himself going to the, um, the hospital for him to voluntarily be looked at psychiatrically. He gave no consent, and the federal government argued in favor of allowing for the home to be searched without a warrant and have this man's gun seized. And the fact that we had a 9-0 decision from the court, including what are considered the three liberal justices, frankly, doesn't lead to two narratives that you're not going to hear about. Number one, the commission that has just been established by the Biden administration to actually pack the court. Doesn't really serve that narrative if you're hearing about 9-0 decisions where you have liberal judges agreeing that you can't go into somebody's house and take their guns. And I think the second important item there is that this community caretaking exception, the government, as Justice Alito said in a concurring opinion, they were not going to support the court this broad, as he used the word, broad application of the community caretaking exception since the 1600s, under English common law, we had the first reference to the home is your castle. 500 years almost of having the home be your castle. And the government agrees that in this country, the home enjoys the highest protection under the law, but yet they just argue to try and violate it. Yeah, this is really fascinating. And of course, uh, I think this also can have some potential implications on red flag laws. I mean, there is not one red flag law that I have read that I would advocate is constitutional in any way, yep. shape or form. I mean, a lot of people would like to say, OK, we need to do something. You know, that's always the, the leftist liberals. Let's do something right. But in the manner in which they're promoting these types of arguments, it's really fascinating to see the Supreme Court come down so strongly. And on this type of political hot button issue, and as you pointed out, the only reason it seems like no networks are covering this, other than, of course, here at Real America's Voice, uh, because this doesn't go with the contentious narrative on a hot button issue like gun control. So where then, Alex, um, in your opinion, what, what does this forecast potentially for, uh, for the Second Amendment for the future? And also, where can we as conservatives, if we don't have the ability to look through every Supreme Court decision, is there somewhere we can go besides your great podcast, All Rise, uh, to get the truth of the judicial branch and maybe the fact that they are still independent? On some issues. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Jenna, I think you're probably going to agree, right, that what the media really banks on when they're providing us with information is that we're, people aren't going to consistently look beyond what's given to them. So whether it's Twitter with the character limitations, whether it's clickbait articles on social media, the most the majority of individuals in this country where over 60 percent of them receive their news from social media just simply aren't going to read and it's understandable so we are naturally being dumbed down by the avoidance of providing us with this information so where does the second amendment go jenna we had the second amendment foundation the second amendment law center we had the aclu the conservative legal defense and education fund and we had all of these organizations that filed briefs in this case because they understood how important it was and I think when you have the nine justices saying, hey, you know what, there was no imminent danger here. There was no harm here. The man who indicated that he uh, put the gun basically at a dinner table and told his wife, go ahead and take it out. Listen, I've had arguments with my wife. I don't know that I would have played around with her and put the gun there and said, take me out. 
That's what this gentleman did. And he voluntarily left the home and specifically under the record told the officers that he was only leaving because they said he wasn't going, they weren't going to take his guns. And it's precisely what they did. He had to sue in order to get them back. These red flag laws, John, Jenna, I agree with you. It is a very slippery slope that the court here didn't want to address and they didn't want to get into. And I think what, when you're looking at the future here is you're going to need some significant probable cause or some really high exigent circumstances in order to be able to enter someone's home. The government even argued in this case that the example that if your backyard is locked and there's your cat in the tree, that they would actually be able to get into your locked backyard and remove a cat from the tree. That's how far they were taking the community exception to be able to enter even your backyard when it's locked. So I do want to end with one thing telling you on this point, which was the Breonna Taylor case from last year. So one of the problems that happens with the hypocrisy of, and both sides possess it to some extent, but in this case on the left is Breonna Taylor was the victim that eventually led shortly thereafter last summer to Louisville banning no-knock warrants. And here is the federal government under the Biden administration arguing in favor of the very no-knock warrant type situation that could have been, that, that was the cause in, of, of the death of, of Breonna Taylor. So uh, mm. I think the court established a very clear rule here, Jenna, that you're going to need a little bit more than just a community caretaking exception that the police is trying to take care of the community in the reasonable mind of an officer who knocks on your door. You're going to need more than that. Mm -hmm. And Alex, I am so appreciative of your legal expertise, and I hope that everyone watching will tell your liberal friends that this is so hypocritical of the Biden administration to have to be in favor and argue the very thing that there were so many riots and so many, you know, Black Lives Matter, everything on the whole yep. Breonna Taylor situation, when that's exactly what the Biden administration was actually advocating for. So they are not consistent. We need to be consistent conservatives, and we need to make sure that we are genuinely grateful and tell the Supreme Court we're grateful when they protect our rights. So in the last about minute and a half we have here with you, Alex, and I hope you come back a lot and tell us more about what's going on at the Supreme sure. Court. Uh, but tell well, me more about your podcast, All Rise, what you cover and where people can find that. So wonderful. So uh, All Rise will be available on Spotify. It'll be available in the Apple Store as well. And All Rise was basically born out of cases like Coniglia. And it is Cases that are not covered, that are landmark decisions that involve everyday Americans in our midst, all around us, liberal, conservative alike, just the normal U.S. citizen, and bringing to the fourth light, kind of making the Supreme Court cases a bit sexy, bringing out this information, letting people have an opportunity to learn and be educated, relearn civics, understand that the Supreme Court of the United States is nine amazingly intelligent foundational legal jurists, Jenna, that absolutely should be respected. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day on 98% of their decisions, probably, whether they were appointed by Clinton, either of the Bushes, the Obamas. It's just a matter of, so of our podcast will be about that and about trying to bring to light these kinds of cases that the mainstream media just doesn't want you to have because the narrative just doesn't fit what they want. Well, Alexander Almazan and his podcast is All Rise, and every conservative needs to make sure that you are supporting these conservative voices because we need to be educated. I'm so grateful for people like Alex that are stepping into this space with their expertise and giving us yet another angle of the truth. We need more of this, and so really grateful for Alex, and we're going to be right back to cover some more of the truth with John Solomon, who's the editor-in-chief of Just the News. He's going to be here to talk about the Fauci emails. We'll be right back. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. to Just the Truth. And joining me now is John Solomon, who's the editor-in-chief of Just the News. And John, so, so much going on with oh, Fauci yeah. and his emails. What's the latest? What a difference a year makes, right? We, right? we now find out that Anthony Fauci was at odds with himself. If you read his own emails, it's Fauci versus Fauci. He's saying one thing in public, wear your mask, it'll protect other people. He's telling other people, like a hospital chief, you know what, I'm not so sure they help. Maybe you can make them voluntary inside a hospital where they're treating COVID patients. What a big difference here. We go back and we find out he was aware that there was concern of gain-of-function research in China at the Wuhan Institute of Virology at the very beginning of the entire pandemic. Long before it even spread across the United States, one of his colleagues writes and says, listen, something about this virus looks manufactured. And he calls an emergency meeting. He's telling his deputy, keep your phone on tomorrow. you got a lot of work to do. And there's a, they do some research and they find out, yeah, there was some money given to the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology from NIH through a subcontractor. And it looks like some gain-of-function research occurred and NIH later sanctioned it. So after the fact, they sanctioned the fact, gain-of-function. And then for a year, we hear, oh, none of that went on, none of that went on. It took these FOIAs and these lawsuits to force to disclosure the fact that maybe Anthony Fauci hasn't given the American people the whole truth. So what happens now? I think a lot of people are really frustrated yeah. uh, with Fauci. They think he lied to the American people. I'm one of them. I think he deserves to be fired. Uh, but I also think that he deserves to be called before Congress. Is there yeah. anything uh, going on in terms of actually holding him accountable? Well, let's start with uh, the testimony he just gave a few weeks ago when, when Rand Paul had him on the box and he said, are you sure you didn't fund any gain-of-function research? I did not fund any gain-of-research. His own emails seem to suggest that they knew that there had been some gain-of-function research uh, that had been done at the Wuhan Institute. People are going to go back and look at that testimony and say, was that uh, erroneous, criminal? I don't know. We'll see. But there are lots of redactions in these documents. And these are scientists talking about each other. These are not intelligence analysts talking about highly classified information. I think there will be an effort to unmask those um, redactions and find out what's behind them. And remember, right now, we only have January to maybe mid-March of 2020. There's a whole rest of the year and into 2021 that we don't have the emails for. I suspect this is going to be a long, hot summer for Anthony Fauci. You saw him on TV saying, this is an attack on science. No, it isn't. It's an attack on the truth. We want to find out what you really knew, not what you told us, but what you really knew. Because he's admitted once before, I lied to the American people. I, I've played with the numbers to get more of them to go up and get vaccines. So we know he's willing to not tell the truth if it creates some objective for him. Now the question is, how, much, how many other times did he do that? That's not an attack on science. That's an inquiry for the truth. Absolutely. I think Rand Paul said it best when he's calling it the noble lie, you know, yeah. to say that, well, I'm misleading the American people, but for my greater purpose. And he's basically playing God here. I mean, this yeah. is something that's really uh, just, I think, despicable. But also uh, his, his book now has actually been scrubbed from a lot of yeah. online places. And so uh, what's kind of the, uh, the, the tenor in Washington among the Democrats? I mean, are they kind of conceding like the mainstream media has to say, well, 
it looks like uh, this probably was man-made, and they're willing to concede to congressional hearings. What's the They're doing an interesting two-step. They're doubling down on Fauci, even though there are some real questions about it, while at the same time giving ground on the whole lab theory, which is, all right, maybe there is some truth that we better look at it now. They should have looked at it a year ago. The Intelligence Committee should have looked at it a year ago. I interviewed uh, Daniel Hoffman, the CIA's former station chief in Moscow, one of the real, true, great career intelligence patriots in America. And he said, listen, the mere fact that 18 months into this uh, pandemic, we still don't know the answer is in and of itself an intelligence community failure. How did we get to that failure? Where for a year, they doubled down on one theory in the face of other evidence that clearly pointed to another possibility. That's bad for the American people. The intelligence community is another place where we got to look at their work. I don't think we got the best intelligence products last year during the 2020 pandemic. The truth will come out. And speaking of the truth coming out, there's a <laughs> lot of audits going on yes. across the country. So what's the latest? We have Senator Mastriano standing by to tell us more about the meeting between Pennsylvania legislators and Arizona. Yeah. But uh, you want us to also keep our eye on Georgia. Absolutely. I think there's a very quiet uh, audit. There's not a lot of press releases, not a lot of uh, 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 clamor about it. I think the Georgia audit may be the most substantive and surprising audit to the American people. I'm hearing lots of things. I'm going to do some more reporting over the next couple of days. But Georgia, Arizona, if Pennsylvania goes in audit, we'll have a very good view of what three very controversial state elections, what really happened. Not what people said happened, but what really happened. It'll be interesting to see if the good senator can, can convince his colleagues in the Pennsylvania Senate to go ahead with that audit. Yeah, and there was also the uh, the censure of Secretary of State Raffensperger in Georgia. Yes, so the I booing mean, of the governor. Georgia was a raucous place this weekend. <laughs> they were booing the governor, censuring their Secretary of State, and these are their own party, the Republicans doing it. A lot yeah. of dissatisfaction. And I think the most important thing that happened in the last three weeks was when Raffensperger suddenly, out of the blue, said, you know, I support that audit in Fulton County. <laughs> After months of saying there was nothing wrong, that turnabout, he knows something that we don't know publicly yet. Yeah, well, I wish that was back in November 2020. Yeah, Where was helpful, that? Right? Yeah, yeah before the Electoral College. Yeah, well, John yeah. Solomon, editor-in-chief of Just the News, thanks so much for dropping thanks, by. Jenna. Thanks so much, here. Anna. Make sure that you stay tuned to Just the News. Always read John's excellent, excellent reporting. Uh, make sure that you follow Just the News on Twitter. And joining me now is Senator Doug Mastriano from the great state of Pennsylvania. And uh, Doug, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. Caught me with my glasses on my head. I'm getting old. <laughs> no, that is perfectly fine. I know. So, uh, so speaking of all of these audits, uh, what happened and what are the details of the internals of that same room? I was in that same room in Arizona talking to Karen Fan and some of the other leadership uh, during the whole post-November election uh, issues. And so I know that Pennsylvania is looking at doing an audit. Do you think that that's going to occur? I don't know that we have a choice. You know, obviously I'm one of 50 or one of 29 in the Republican caucus in the Senate, but I just don't know how we get around it. You know, you were there on November 2015, Gettysburg last year, and, you know, all these issues came out and they were never addressed. And, you know, thank God uh, after Gettysburg, all these other hearings popped up and now Arizona is leading the way and uh, Pennsylvania needs to get on board because, you know, about 47% of uh, voters in Pennsylvania in a recent poll said they don't trust the results. And that, that means disenfranchisement, something the left talks about often, obviously. And it also means that our constitutional republic's at stake because if people don't believe that they have one vote, you know, and, and it counts as one legal vote per person, don't have an equal voice, why are they gonna come out and vote in the future? So uh, in the end, we gotta do our job. You've, you've talked a lot about our constitutional powers. It'd be nice if we actually start exercising them.
Yeah, and you know, you have been one of the foremost advocates in Pennsylvania from the very beginning. You mentioned Gettysburg last year, and uh, that was the first legislative hearing. Pennsylvania uh, led the way, and you were the spearhead of that effort, and uh, that really led the way to showing the American people uh, just how lawless uh, things were in the aftermath of the 2020 election and even leading up to it. And so um, what was what did you learn, I guess, from the uh, Arizona audit that is going to help inform hopefully when Pennsylvania uh, does this and what do you hope to show through that audit? So what I saw in person is nothing like what the leftist media is reporting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what kind of reporting is it when, when a you know leading outlet says a fraud? It that that's very partisan. That's very inflammatory. So they're inferring that this entire thing is a big joke, and that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, unlike what we saw in Philadelphia, where they did not allow you know poll watchers, and and even when he had a court order, he wasn't allowed in the room. And then you know, finally, fifty feet away the next day, I mean. That's there's some fraud and issues with that. There's violations of law on that. But in Arizona, there's eight cameras streaming 24 seven. So any troll out there that lives in mom's basement that wants to find something going on, you can do it. You have the power. There's cameras over every table where they do, uh, you know, the, the recount. Uh, there's a table with, with four people. One person handles the ballot and it goes in the box and it goes back in the box the same order. I mean, it's fantastic. They take great care. So one person puts it on a carousel. It spins around three separate counters are, are doing a separate count, and then that's put, in, put into a spreadsheet later on. If there's any discrepancies, obviously, they'll have to go back to that box. Uh, the boxes, uh, there, there's positive control. I mean, so there's a chain of custody. If, if somebody touches that box, they have to sign for it, and they're responsible for it. I mean, and the cameras are always on you. And then, uh, so that's that's okay. That's fine. That's So that's a basic recount. That's not enough. Any audits uh, these days need to be forensic. And then... That same ballot is, is brought over to a table where it's photographed with, with microscopic power, and they could see if it's a copy, which would be a fake ballot, or if it's really filled in by a human based off the grooves as you make the little circles. So that's the wave of the future. They don't. They could easily go through this uh, count, re, uh, recount or this audit, forensic audit is a better term, uh, with a scanner. But if you use a scanner, that, that results in 1% to 3% of the ballots being damaged. So they're doing everything they can to ensure that none of the ballots are damaged. They're returned in the same shape that they receive. I mean, this, this is absolutely amazing. Wow. And I think the one word is transparency. I mean, this is something that no one should be afraid of unless maybe uh, people like the Democrats and the liberal leftists don't want the truth to come out. And so the fact that anyone can be against a recount or an audit and making sure that we get to the truth just shows that they have something to hide. And so it's a, it's a great thing. And I think that all 50 states, I mean, not just the swing states and the, the states that clearly have the issues in 2020, all states should make sure that their elections are transparent, they're secure, that every citizen voting in their state has confidence in the security of their elections. I mean, this just seems like common sense, Senator. I mean, why, why on earth would anyone suggest otherwise? I agree. You know, the irony is uh, our state attorney general, who's Democrat and has great aspirations for his future. Is like, if they're going to do an audit, they have to come through me. Well, first off, we don't have to go through him. There's something called the Constitution. And guess what? The legislative body has oversight of, of the manner and conduct of elections. So that means we are responsible as well 
you know, with the transparency part. And that's the next thing. You said transparency. The, our governor won very strongly re-election in the state a few years ago here in Pennsylvania as uh, he promised to be the most transparent governor in Pennsylvania history. Well, I'm in mo Missouri mode now. Show me. Prove it to me. So what do you got to hide? You know, both him and the attorney general come out basically saying it was a perfect election. Like that's ever happened in Pennsylvania. Anyway, you got to be kidding me. Philadelphia, really? Come on, man. Right. And so <laughs> if, if you got nothing to hide. Like you said, Jenna, crack the books out. And you know what? I don't know, Jenna, that there's any way to uh, put things right than do a forensic audit. And so let's, my proposal, now I'm one of 50, one of 29 Republican caucus here. And uh, my proposal is let's look for one Republican county and one Democrat county and let the chips fall where they may. That's all. Yeah, the, just the truth, the facts. And we as conservatives are trying to conserve fact and truth. So we'll be right back with more with Senator Mastriano to talk about election integrity. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and I'm talking with my good friend, Senator Doug Mastriano from Pennsylvania, about the number one topic facing America, election integrity. Everything that we should be talking about, of course, there are so many other issues that are very worthwhile, but right now facing America, of course, it's election integrity. So, Senator, um, you've been talking about the uh, the meeting that you had between uh, yourself and the other Pennsylvania legislatures, uh, legislators and Arizona, and then, uh, you know, looking at Georgia, looking at some things that are uh, going on across the country, especially there in Pennsylvania. Obviously, that's where you're from. Uh, but the, one of the main questions that I always get as well um, is from people who understandably are very frustrated with the absolute lawlessness that happened in 2020. And they're kind of digging in their heels and they're saying, you know, if this isn't cured or solved to my satisfaction, I'm just going to sit out the vote for the foreseeable future. What is your response to that? Well, first off, the legislative body, Jenna, as you've been saying, is responsible for the conduct and the oversight in the manner of the elections. So we need to tighten this up. Even we face court challenges, it, we need to keep on pursuing forward. So obviously, with, together with Senator Judy Ward and uh, Senator Pat Stefano, I like giving credit to where credit due, is due. We, we're, us three and several others are working together here to advance legislation to require a voter ID to end no excuse mail-in voting because the way it was compromised by our secretary of state was not what was voted on you know a year and a half ago and by our supreme court as well in pennsylvania and then also uh, repealing uh, all the measures that compromise our election so we're going to hopefully move this legislation it needs a move this summer and unless governor wolf has a real sharp strike in his conscience he will veto those so instead now lessons learned why do we just do this and then dither oh he vetoed it and we can't override so in addition to those three pieces of legislation, Jenna, we're also we've also introduced um, constitutional amendments that include those three. So these will be referendums that have to pass two sessions in the House and Senate and will go on the ballot. If we do it right, we can get on the ballot next spring and the people can decide if they want voter ID, which I would help. Us. I think that 
this approach would help us overcome any legal challenges that, of course, we'll have. It'll help us get rid of uh, the lawlessness of no excuse mail-in voting as it was rewritten by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and also repeal all the other elements that undermine our election. So I, I, I think the beauty of this approach is, in the end, the people of Pennsylvania should have the last say of what our elections look like. And so a ballot initiative to circumvent Wolf, to put the question to the people, is the way to go, I think, in the end. So it's your hope, it sounds like, that you will have election integrity measures in place so that people will uh, understand that their vote is protected and hopefully they will turn out and vote. I mean, I think that it's the absolute worst possible response to say, well, just because uh, there was rampant lawlessness in the 2020 election, and obviously the state legislatures uh, did not reconvene in special session, uh, did not cure those certificates before they were sent to the Electoral College in Congress. Uh, because that didn't happen, now they're just saying, well, we'll just sit out uh, for the rest of it. But you're actually giving them, I think, some options to participate even before the next election happens, like these referendums. And that's really promising, right? So, and the inspiration was this. Last year, we ran a, a resolution 836. And I love it because it's John 836. If Jesus set you free, you're free indeed. For resolution 836 was to reopen the state last June. And we, and we worked so hard. And it was, I don't know why we had to work so hard in a, in a Republican legislative body, to, but we moved it. We passed it. A couple of Democrats joined us. Wolf vetoed it. And surely the Democrats will vote with the people. They claim to be the party of the people. They're not. We are. Yeah. And uh, we could not override the veto. And so, uh, our Senate uh, team got together and Senator Kim Ward decided we're going to make it a referendum. And Governor Wolf, his team were, was able to write the language for the ballot initiative. And it was rigged. It was rigged against us. The, the, you read the two referendum questions for a constitutional amendment to remove these emergency powers. You couldn't understand what it said. But we got the word out and we, and we won with 54 percent of the vote. So we are a free people. And I took that lesson learned for these voting reforms. So the people should have the final word in the end and, and it will work. Well, and you are an excellent representative of the people of the state of Pennsylvania, and I just wish that every state legislator had the same mindset and the same uh, will and courage to represent uh, people as you do. And uh, Senator Mastriano, just, uh, you were just saying a moment ago about how the Democrats aren't really uh, the party of democracy or the party of the people. Watch what President Trump just said from North Carolina. Remember, I am not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I'm the one that's trying to save it. Please remember that. I love this. And I think that President Trump is at the helm of the Republican Party. And uh, what are your thoughts going into 2022 and 2024 about President Trump? Oh, he's running again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a I think. Fantastic speech. I mean, you know. He talked about that story at West Point when, you know, he had to go down the steps real, real, real gingerly because the steps were wet and he had those slick leather soles on and he's afraid he's going to fall on his bottom. And he, then, of course, he compared, you know, all that outrage in the media. Maybe he has some kind of, you know, physical disorder. And then, you know, Biden is flying up the steps and falling three times. And he, the double standards and lies. And the American people are like, what the heck? Leave him alone. And, uh. On the voting side here, you know, obviously he's keenly watching what goes on in Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia and the other states, rightly so, because if, if the election, and this is not about disfranchising, it's not about overturning, it's about finding what happened and letting the chips fall where they may. You know, it would be nice, I guess, if, if Governor Wolf was right and it was a perfect election, but what if it wasn't? And then how you have a good, fair, free election if you have all these flaws built into it. So let's get it done. 
Absolutely. And so um, is one of your legislative measures, I know one of the uh, difficulties in Arizona and also Pennsylvania uh, was to actually call the state legislature back into session to deal with some of this uh, in the aftermath of the election. Is there any legislation that's being contemplated to reclaim that authority? Um, and even though, of course, you know, the Trump team argument, myself included, uh, was to say, well, you know, you don't need the governor's authority. They can't, the governor can't stop you from exercising a textually delegated constitutional responsibility, but certainly having that kind of amendment or uh, legislative uh, power just to say, hey, we're going back into session to make sure that it's the state legislature, not these rogue executive agents as the one that actually signs off on the certifications. Is that something you're contemplating? This past year has been a crash course in civics. And only being two years now as a senator, my extensive time in the Senate. <laughs> and so I'm with you. We have the hearing. I I test positive in the White House. You were there for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? That was a, then, that was an interesting night for sure. But <laughs> I could not believe the most important day of my life. And I'm like, really? Um, but of course, 45 was so accommodating, very fatherly, unlike yes. what AP and the others said about me. But uh, I come back and I, I'm like, we need to go in session. We Here's a resolution to deal with this here. We need answers. And then come to find out at 11 p.m. on 30 November, we turn into pumpkins in the General Assembly. All 203 House reps and all 50 senators were out of session until the 5th of January. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And there was no initiative or desire to go ahead and convene ourselves. You know, we, the, the, we sat back and I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I've introduced a constitutional amendment. You believe this? that we're not at a session in December anymore, that we're in session until the 31st of December, and then a few days later, of course, the next body comes in. So I can't believe that a full-time legislative body that we're off for an entire month, this, and hopefully this will get run so we could fix that, another loophole Good. in our constitution. Absolutely. And, and what turned out to be the most critical month for this. I mean, that was what was also mind blowing. And, um, you know, Senator Mastriano, I'm so grateful that uh, you are taking the bull by the horns and that you are uh, advocating for all these things. I think we've all learned a lot about civics, a lot about constitutional responsibilities of state legislators. And as you said, I mean, this was such a uh, wild time for everyone, I think, uh, for the country. But to really uh, find out the truth now with these audits, it's so incredibly important. We're going to be right back with more of Senator Mastriano and taking your questions. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And now we are going to the public square with Senator Mastriano to take your questions. This seems so serious, right? Like we're going to, you know, this will be election integrity for 500, Alex. Okay, um, so Senator Mastrano, we asked uh, people on my and your social media uh, today, well ahead of the show, what questions they have for you, because I know a lot of Americans are really concerned about this. It's the number one question I'm sure that you get. It's the number one question I get. And so we wanted to give some time for people who really have some genuine questions here uh, to be able to weigh in. So the first question I have is um, how soon 
realistically, can Pennsylvania get an audit if you decide to move forward? Okay, so obviously there's a few courses of action, and this is just reality. I'm sorry it's not easy. You know, 10 days from now, I wish it was like that. But there's a body of 50 of us, and, and you know, there's, there's only one king in Pennsylvania. At least he thinks he is. That's the governor. So, but... What the way it would go? I mean, there's several angles. A, a state committee, a Senate committee with subpoena powers, would normally issue a letter to whichever county or counties they want to have a review of the election results with a forensic audit. Specifically, uh, they'd have there'd be a certain amount of time set for a response. Obviously, chances are not that that it would be declined, and then it would come back with a subpoena. Uh, and there's a given a period of time. So I think probably the soonest, if we jumped on it, and if we had the support with with the majority of the members. Uh, in a, any committee we do this from and from the body itself, probably July, you could see it, which the timing wise would be pretty good because that's about the time Arizona's wrapping up ostensibly. And then uh, we, we could roll right in to see what happened in Pennsylvania. And and, and like you and like you rightly said, this is about transparency, just to find out what the heck happened and were the results as what we were told. Yeah. And so um, the, the next question I have here is, um, what then is taking so long to complete the other audits in the other states, if you know? So there's only one forensic audit, and it's by Arizona, where I was about this time last week. And they picked one of the largest counties in the nation, Maricopa County, with over 2.1 million voters or votes that were submitted during the last election. And uh, when I was there, uh, they were just had crossed the halfway point. And so obviously bringing in this kind of team, they, they learned a lot of lessons. So if we're able to replicate this gen in Pennsylvania, I think it'll actually move a bit quicker. Uh, some of the counties that I'm looking at, they're not nearly as large as Maricopa. So I think we can knock it out ra rather rapidly in Pennsylvania if, if, the, if this is a course of action we follow, which I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. And uh, this one is, of course, probably the most controversial. So I'm not going to sidestep it. I have to ask you this one. If it's found that Mr. Biden did not win the presidential election, we kind of already think that has been shown, but uh, what recourse is possible? So there's a few courses of action, and uh, I, I think the most likely of all the courses of action is a, is a court challenge. And we do have a precedent in Pennsylvania, and granted at the state level, but there was election in Northeast Philly, interesting Philly, <laughs> but <laughs> 1993, a special election, and uh, Senator Stinson won the election of Democrat against Senator Bruce Marks. I, I call them both senators because of an interesting reason. Uh, local media, including the Inquirer, I, I wish media was this intellectual, uh, had so much intellectual curiosity as they did then. Uh, they did investigative journalism and found out there's all sorts of shenanigans and cheating and fraud. And that went to the Third Circuit, and the Third Circuit removed the Democrat senator, which removed the party in power in Pennsylvania and put the Republican in, Bruce Marks. And so I, I think the most likely course of action is, is a federal decision. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so uh, then the next question um, is, so uh, with the legislation that you're contemplating, uh, why do you think that the state legislature in Pennsylvania did not get on board sooner than now? That's a real tough one because we, there was a group of us last year, and you know, you, you were part of this. I mean, we we spoke frequently or or texted. I was asking you for advice and constitutional uh, recommendations, you know. And once again, anything Jen and I or anyone else talked about was the legal constitutional approach forward, and it was a lot of new ground for us as well. Um, you know. Up until the end of December, we had you know, worked with the our my uh, caucus quite a bit. 
And the last letter we signed, uh, I think it went to uh, one of the senior officials in Washington, D.C. There was a uh, 24 signatures of the 29 members of my caucus asking that we just be given some time here to see what happened in Pennsylvania. And uh, when that when that was denied, it, it, we seemed a bit you know lost as the way forward. And thank God Arizona rose up and they set a standard and example. And uh, th th once again, I get it. It's very frustrating. You know, many of us worked our tails off, none more than you, clearly, to try to find a way ahead. And this was new charted ground. And I think this will set a standard in the future if, if there's any you know shenanigans or concerns about election. But I don't think I don't I can't remember as a historian I have a PhD in history. I can't think of a time in American history when there was so so many issues. In various states, usually you have specific states, but you know, so many states with so many issues, and how do you address that? So I think this will set a new standard in the future. Yeah, hopefully so. And that actually uh, goes perfectly well into uh, the last question I have here. And I get this question all the time as well, so I wanted to pose it to you. Uh, why should we, Republicans, conservatives, follow the Constitution if Democrats clearly aren't? Well... Sometimes I feel like I compare us to like the Redcoats, you know, we march in line of battle and, and of course the Patriots are hiding behind the trees and cheating. That's not the way you fight in war, you know, the laws of modern warfare based off the Treaty of Westphalia, 1648. But uh, we are a nation of law. And uh, if the majority of the nation and, and the populace refuse to abide by the law and constitution, then there's lawlessness. Now, you know, you and I and, and, and many and everyone else on our side here is looking for the legal constitutional way forward. And so I, I get the crux of that question, but I think it's deeper. So people show up for a presidential election. They expect, you know, massive change and they disappear. We had judicial elections in Pennsylvania where in one of my counties, only 11 percent of the people showed up, another 16 percent because I was on the ballot. And that resulted in our state Supreme Court flipping heavily Democrat, five of the seven seats. And I'm like, people, you're complaining here. Our firewall is gone. And, and so we need you in every election. It's a marathon. So if you want to affect change, it's not just presidential elections, it's every election. Yeah, absolutely. And civics matter. And Senator Mastriano, I am right there with you to advocate for election integrity, a path forward. Thank you so much for joining me tonight on Just the Truth. And now to Just the Word. Luke 8, 16 through 18 says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed now how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.